Life Community is located in Gilbert, Arizona. You can learn more about us on our website at lifecommunityaz.com. Enjoy the message. Okay. It's cute. They're having that seminar yesterday for people to help them with public speaking. And everybody suggested, maybe, Pastor, you could go in there. And, uh, and uh, I pretended like I didn't get it. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, glad you're here. Glad you're, glad you're tuned in online. We appreciate you being with us. Uh, I'm ending a series today. It's called Made for More. I think so often we undersell ourselves. Uh, we settle for a whole lot less than what God has for us. And so uh, we talked about uh, the, in, in the weeks ago by the disease to please. Some people are just plagued with the disease, and they're people pleasers, and they can't make anybody unhappy. And if they do, and they're just, they're just uh, Proverbs says it's a snare to your soul if you're that way. And so if you're one of those and didn't get it, go online, you can get it. And the peril of perfectionism, if you're a perfectionist, I'll tell you what, I feel sorry for your family. If you're old and perfectionist, your grandchildren probably don't like you. <laughs> Last week we talked about a comfort zone. Getting out of your comfort zone. My word, people, their God is their comfort zone and they can do nothing that's out of their comfort zone. And maybe God wants to expand your comfort zone a little bit so you can actually do something in variety of life and didn't have to repeat the same day over and over again like Groundhog Day. Some people's Christian walk is the same thing over and over and over. And who knows, God might have different ventures for you. And so uh, today I'm going to talk about the endless pursuit of stuff. And I'm so glad today's coming because I get to start my next series next week. And where this all got started, it's, uh, they're not watching. I don't have to worry about that. When I went on vacation over the Christmas break, Carrie and I went and saw uh, Jeff and Joanna, our son and daughter-in-law and their children. And my son's a pastor in, uh, in, in uh, Pendleton, Oregon. And so they had a church function. And, uh, and so when you go to the church function, my son's a pastor, you're going to be nice and all that kind of stuff. And this old guy comes up to me. And I can say old guy because I'm one of them. And so I think he thought he had a friend in me. And so he comes and starts ragging and ragging and ragging about how terrible it is, not just political, but theological. And I thought to myself, this is my son's church. Be nice to his members. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So I'm just listening and listening and listening. And uh, on the inside, I'm going nuts. But on the outside, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And finally, he said, you don't seem to be responding to anything I'm saying. And I said, man, I was being nice. And I said, truthfully, I don't believe a word you just said. <laughs> and he said, what? And, and it wasn't about his politics necessarily, a little of that too, but it was about his theology. And so I said, I don't believe in any of that stuff. And he said, are you a minister? <laughs> and I said, yes, I am. A four-square minister? I said, yes, I am. I don't believe any of that stuff. I used to. But I don't now. I, he says, oh, I didn't. I wondered why you weren't responding and joining with me. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I just don't. He said, well, what do you believe? And it turned into not just a long conversation, but I was able to talk to him about really the things that changed my life is when I understood the kingdom of God. Not that I understand it. When I, the door was open to me to see the kingdom of God in a whole different light. And since then, I've been thinking, talking, working through, and put together a series that I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God. I look back 40, 45 years ago, 
And when someone introduced me to the kingdom of God in a different light that I had seen, I always thought the kingdom of God is where you go when you die. I mean, that's, that's where you get to, and maybe it is. But when I understood it in a whole different light, it changed the whole, my whole walk with Jesus. And I want to talk to you about that, not today, but in the weeks to come. But today I'm talking about uh, the endless pursuit of, of, of stuff. You've probably heard this, this little thing. How many of you know if you've got rich people problems, if you're fighting with your landscaper? <laughs> if you're fighting with your pool guy, you've got rich people problems. If uh, you are at odds with your house cleaner, you've got rich people problems. If you go through the drive-thru and the dipping sauces aren't as fresh as they used to be and they're just not the right flavor, you've got rich people problems. Uh, if you're mad at Amazon for their delivery time because it takes just a little too long, uh, and, or if you're mad because Netflix doesn't connect to your Wi-Fi and something's the matter and something needs to be done, but you've got rich people problems. Uh, who remembers that? Just, it's great being old. If I'd known how good it was to be old, I wouldn't have fought it so long. <laughs> See, I can, make, I can take shots at two things, ministers and old people, because I are both of them. And so anyway, who remembers the day when, when average TVs in the house were 19 inch? Yeah. Oh, my word. And for the rich folks, they had the 25 inch TV. Now, if somebody has a 25 inch TV at home, we have to take a needy family fund for them. So, I mean, how can our monitors on our computers are 25 inches? I mean, and heaven's sakes, who can watch TV that's not at least 65 inches? And it really needs to be, I don't want to admit it, but a year ago when we bought those TVs out there, Terry and I went down to Sam's Club and bought an 84-inch TV. And when I do my recliner, my recliner is about five feet from the TV. And I'm saying, this is television. It's like watching live TV. Anyway, I wanted, and so Dave Ramsey says we buy things we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people we don't even like. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Ecclesiastes, let's get to the Bible here, enough of this stuff. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says those who love money will never have enough. So if you're one of these people that just really love money, you don't have enough. And what you need is just a little more. And then you would be happy. I just know it. The, and he says, those who love wealth are never, sat, never satisfied with their income. Gallup, poll did a, uh, Gallup did a poll not long ago, and they, what, what, what rich was. What, what do you think rich is? Yes, you can. Now, let me tell you the rest of the story. I heard this pop, boom, pop, boom, and I'm thinking to myself, Delmer, don't be distracted. The sound people will take care of this. Then heard a pop, boom, pop, boom, and I'm thinking, Jamie? <laughs> now i got to start at the beginning. <laughs> anyway, Gallup Poll does this, does this uh, a poll, and they, uh, how much, what do you think rich is? How much do people think that rich is? 
that if you made, and the, and the numbers they come up with is twice of, uh, as much as you make. <laughs> Whatever that was. <laughs> twice as much as you make. If you're at, at 30,000 and you made 60, whoa, then you'd be rich. If you're at 60 and you made 120, whoa, because rich is always a moving target. Uh, 60 Minutes did a thing, and that if people make $75,000 a year, you, it, more money will make you happier until 75000 a year. And once you get 75000 a year, any more money is not going to make you any more happy. Uh, somebody says that money can't buy happiness. And the other guy says, but it'll buy you a boat that'll take you where you can see happiness. <laughs> Do you know the average uh, amount that you call average college grad makes is $56,000 a year. So if you make more than that, you're so rich. And if you make less than that, you should have gone to college. If, if it were. And, so, and so the truth of it is, to be happy, is, is the culture says, is to have what you, what you really don't need. Um, and so some people say, you know, Pastor, I don't care about money. Money's not important to me. I think of myself, you liar. <laughs> See, it's been said that be wary of the man who says he's the head of his house. He'll lie about other things, too. <laughs> so the truth of it is, if you say that money is not important, you're lying. And, uh, and the truth of it is, it determines, and it's sad, that it determines life's work for a lot of people. They do things that they might not be gifted at, may not even like, but man, it pays well. And once you're making do-re-mi, as it were, you don't want to quit making that, even though you hate your life's work. And I've often thought of strange people look forward to retirement where they don't have to do what they called, what they were chosen to do for their whole life. I think if you hate it that bad, you should have quit 20 years ago. But get your rent paid and keep on your job. So anyway, I'm talking to you about money. This is not a financial seminar. This is a sermon from Delmer. Okay, number one, money must be managed. Pastor, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Money must be managed. Uh, Proverbs 27, 23, riches can disappear fast. And if you looked at your 401k lately, you believe that. Man, man, we're making money, honey. I tell you what, then the year turns and, oh, honey, we're losing. I don't know what we're going to do. Riches can disappear fast. And the king's crown doesn't stay in the family forever. So watch your business interest closely. Pastor, I thought this was church. Are we talking about Jesus and spiritual things? I am. Know the state of your flocks. Or in this terminology, the state of your stocks. And your herds. And without going into a whole lot of detail, I think there are five things you, everybody needs to know, and they are, how much do you earn? It's amazing, some people don't know what they make. They know what's on their paycheck, it's X number of dollars, and they say, I only make this much money. And then you look at the, the stubs or whatever, and you see all kinds of deductions that were taken out of your check that you don't have to pay, maybe retirement, maybe 401k, maybe insurance, maybe all kinds of things that come out of your check and you think, I don't make any money. You really do. You just have deducted it all, and sometimes very wisely, you save taxes and all that kind of stuff. But I think you need to know what, you're, what you earn. Uh, you, there are tremendous, and I'm not going to go there, tax credits that you can give to certain causes, public schools, Christian schools, and it comes right off of your income tax. And I max that out every year. I'm not talking about that, but I could. And second of all, what you owe. Some people don't know what they owe. I think you need to know what you owe. What is the payoff of your house, your car, consumer debt, whatever it is? How much do you owe? Pastor, I don't want to think about that. Proverbs says to manage your money. 
Because money doesn't stick around forever. Somebody said that money talks, and Dave Ramsey says, it doesn't talk, it quietly slips away. And so I think you need to know, what kind of interest are you paying? On your car, on your credit cards, whatever it is. It, even if you can't pay it off, I think you need to know. And how much you spend. I think we need to be knowing where our money's going. Some people don't have a clue. I know Dave Ramsey and them, they do the, the cash, you know, the envelopes and all that kind of stuff. That would not work for me at all. I would lose those and then have to try to find them. And so I put everything that I do on, Terry and I have one credit card, or two credit cards, but one account, and everything I spend. Do you know that I've not spent any cash dollar bills, five tens or 20s, in probably almost a year? Because everything I buy goes on that card. I pay it off every month. And so then it keeps perfect records for me. At the end of the year, I could have a heart attack by how much we actually spent on this, that, or the other. But if it were cash, I would never know how much it is. How much do you save? How much do you save consistently? Well, I tell you, I'd save 15% by buying it this way and not the other way. I'm not talking about that kind of savings. I bought so many stuff saving money, they should have owed me money, but they didn't. How do you save? into a 401k, emergency fund, all that kind of stuff. I think you need to know that. And how much do you give? Now, this is not a sermon on giving. I think giving needs to be predecided. When you, when you and your family or you and you, whoever does, sit down and, and your budget, I think you need to predecide uh, an amount, uh, predecide a percentage. See, the Bible talks about tithing, and I believe in all that, and I can do that kind of thing. But maybe 10% is more than you can do right now. If it is more than you can do, start somewhere, 2%, 5%, 7%, whatever it is you can do, whatever is sacrificial enough. But I think those things need to be predecided, and then every part of your increase that comes into your house, you, you give that percentage away until you can grow maybe 10% to gold. I tell you, with those of you that have children, you wait till your kids are grown, you're going to be rich. <laughs> my word, I never realized how much how many potatoes my son would eat. And how much it costs to feed these kids, clothe these kids, when they get out of the house, woohoo! I finally got money. Number two, money is inanimate. It's not good or evil in and of itself. It's been said forever, and people misquote the Bible all the time, and they said, money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. And then they say, Love is, is the root of, of all, even though no, it didn't say, it really says all kinds, the love of money. In 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So the question is, what are you willing to do to get more of it? Pastor, I don't even want more of it. Yes, you do. What are you willing to do to get more money? Are you willing to lie? Are you willing to kind of not be in full disclosure of what the deal is and, and you don't want to tell them about the sawdust you put in the oil, the transmission to make sure it ships? What are you willing to do to get... And See, that's the root of all kinds of evil. He goes on to say, some people craving money have wandered from the faith. Really? You violate your own conscience? You violate God's principles of money? And Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, some have even made an idol out of it. It becomes more important to them, money does, than the Lord is. And he says they pierce themselves, self-destructive, with many sorrows, much sadness. Rick Warren says, never let your net worth determine your 
self-worth. Never let your net worth determine your self-worth. And men, because I am one, I don't know how women are about that, but I, men are especially bad about that in that they value their worth by how big of a check they have, how well they provide. If you don't make a lot of money, you feel less than, because after all, Fred over there makes a lot more, or whatever, and sometimes you can feel less than because your check isn't what you want it to be, what it could be, what it should be, all those kinds of things. And so a self-worth, especially to men, so gentlemen, don't let your money issues destroy who you are. Your net worth does not determine your self-worth. And then Jesus tells an interesting story. This is so interesting to me. And it's in your bulletin there. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said to them, watch out, be careful, be on guard against all kinds of greed. See, it's not just greed for money. We're going to talk about that in a second. But all kinds of greed. There are people that are actually greedy to be more important. Everyone likes to be important. But some people just won't stop. It just, it's important to your circle of friends, for the fish in your pond. They have this greed and need to be important to everybody. Honor is another one. It's good to have honor, and it's good to be honored, and all that kind of stuff. And that's not bad. But some are so pressing hard for it, they'll do anything to get it. Of positions, of power, of, of possessions. And so Jesus says, be careful of all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And so then he tells an interesting story. I'm going to read it to you. It's, it just took too long to put in your bulletin, or too much space in your bulletin. And it says, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my crops. So he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I will build bigger barns. And there I will store my, my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, in and of itself, that doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with that. The Lord just, in the next verse, he says, he says but, but, but the Lord said to him, you fool. You fool. Is there anything wrong with planning for expansion? No. Is there anything wrong with, with, with building assets? No. So why did God call him a fool? He goes, this very night your soul will be demanded of you. And then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? See, this guy did not understand that he got really well because the ground produced crops. The sunshine that he didn't create made those crops grow. The rain that he didn't make happen made those crops grow and develop, and he got rich out of it, but he never did think past himself. He never looked beyond himself and me. He said, what am I going to do? These barns are big. You know, I got build build bigger. And the Lord says, you fool. He says, you're going to die. It may not be today, but it's someday. And then who's going to get all this stuff? And Jesus includes it in verse 21 there in your bulletin. This is how it will be. For those who store it for themselves but are not rich toward God. This guy thought somehow he put it all together and it's all about him and he never considered God in the equation. It happens to me all the time. Listen to me. Yesterday we go to Liberty Market, get all those booths out and all that kind of stuff. 
and the owners there, they're very nice men, they're great guys and all that kind of stuff, they pat me on the back, boy, pastor, we appreciate, we appreciate, and I thought to myself, I'm just standing here. Lynn Roberts, Steve Hansen, these guys are doing the work here. They're the ones getting this done. Ma'am, if you're watching online, a lady showed up with a mask on. <laughs> when you wear a mask, you can be anybody. And I didn't know who it was. And so she's working, 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 and taking chairs out, and I assumed it was somebody that it wasn't. And I'd never personally, unless I just met you in the lobby or something, uh, came to help us. And people patted me on the back for doing such a good job. Now, if I believe that, it's crazy. People brag about Life Community Church. Oh, so wonderful church, and there's so much. Blah, blah. It's the team that does it. Who do you think provides for all that? You do. And if you thought for a second that I thought it was all about me, you want to say, my God, how blind are you, Delmer? I get to stand up here and talk to you, but I am not the one that creates the ground, the atmosphere, the, the rain, the sunlight. And that guy never saw past himself. He never brought God into the equation. People that are running successful companies. President, you might think it's about you. It's not about you. It's the wonderful team God gave you. Because nobody does these things by themselves. Nobody does them alone. You might or you might not have an important part to play. But you did not do it alone. And that's what this guy did not understand. He never brought the, 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 the people that helped him do what he did into consideration. It wasn't just a matter of semantics and he forgot to say, oh, thank you, God, for this. No, no, no. He never brought God into any of that. He was high rolling, high flying, and doing his thing. And God says, you're an idiot. And so is everyone who becomes rich for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Number three, money is the magnet of your heart. I believe all the Bible's true. If there's any verse, uh, it is true here. Look at Luke 16, 13. You cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Pastor, you know, and you've heard it. God and the devil. No, I tell you, the devil's not the chief competitor for your heart. Your stuff is. Jesus well understood this. It's not the devil, you got to know it's, it's your own heart that wanders after all kinds of things that are not yours to have. But because you want them, you go after them, and it causes you all kinds of grief. So that's when Jesus says you can't love God and money. He's not downplaying the devil at all, but he says that's not your issue. That's not where it's at. One money is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. It's a wonderful servant because it'll do exactly what you tell it to do. It always does. I've had employees before, you ask them to do something, and they, no, I'm not going to do that. And you think, oh, okay, well, whatever you do. But money will always do what it's told to do. It's a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. Jesus said it. Matthew 6, 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And he should have put, and inflation doesn't eat you alive. 
And then he says it, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The truth it is, your heart follows your treasure every single time. And you can direct your heart like you can direct your money. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I've talked to all kinds of couples, not getting along and this and that and this and that, and they're griping and complaining to me. That's why I don't do marriage counseling anymore. I just go nuts. <laughs> and so the question I always ask, what act of generosity have you given toward her in the last week, in the last month, over this last year? How generous are you with her? How generous are you with him? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, Pastor, we just kind of fell out of love. No, you quit giving. You quit giving to her. You quit giving to her. Well, she this and she probably is. But you can control your heart by where your treasure is. Guys, you don't act, you don't feel your way into acting, into action. You act your way into feeling. That's why it's called initiative. You decide. It's called responsibility. You decide where you're going to put your treasure, and your heart will always follow that. It's not rocket science. It's just how it works. See, Randy Elkhorn says it, and he says it's, it's, it's wonderful when you are a bit older, and you've laid up for yourselves treasures on earth, the older you get and the closer you are to dying, you're not walking away from your treasure. You're walking toward them because you spent a lifetime laying treasures in heaven. So it's walking toward hot dog, what I've been working for all my life, what I've been saving for all my life. What I've been investing in the world yet to come all my life. Oh, no, I'm leaving it behind. No, you're not. You're walking toward it. And the older you get, it's, it's, the eternity becomes, and I'm not that old, but it, it becomes more and more real because it's a possibility for you sooner than you think. And you walk toward your treasure. You've already left it behind. See, Ecclesiastes 5.19, he says, when God gives people wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil. He said, this is a gift from God. It's a gift from God to accept your lot in life. Well, you're not a millionaire. This is your lot. Accept your toil. This is my responsibility. This is my job. I was hoping I'd be the CEO. I was hoping I'd be the president. I was hoping this, that, and the other. Well, you're not. Embrace where you're at. Embrace what you've got. And be, learn to be happy there. And then it goes on to say, God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. I want to say, move on. 35 years ago, I went through a terrible divorce, and I didn't want to be divorced, and I didn't like divorced pastors, and I didn't believe in all that, and here I was. I was all those things I didn't believe in. And if I hadn't learned to get a grip and get a hold of myself and move on, I would be brooding over the past for the rest of my life. 
Somebody went to a guy that says, man, 20 was a bad year. 21 was a bad year. Oh, it just scares me for 2022. What do you, what do you think it's going to bring? And the guy says, it's going to bring flowers. The guy says, bring flowers? How do you figure that? He says, because that's what I'm planting. These guys, Israelite, Israel was in Babylonian captivity. They were like, oh, God, save us. Oh, God, save us. And Jeremiah said, he's going to save you, but it's going to be 70 years. And until then, plant some trees. Get some vineyards going. Pray for the government of this ungodly Nebuchadnezzar. Cooperate with him. Because you're going to be here a while, and you might as well make life better for you. People that learn to do that are so busy enjoying life, they don't brood over who done them wrong. And they let me down. Good preaching pastor, if I say so myself. If you'd have heard this last night, you'd have thought, Ugh. <laughs> Number four, money is God's teaching tool. Jesus, you know, Jesus talked a lot about money. That's why I, I, I like that. If, you have not been, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust with you with true riches? So Jesus says, okay, there's worldly wealth and there's true riches. And if you've not been trustworthy in someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, how many of you know your money that you have, when you die, you're going to leave it all? Somebody said, how much did he leave? And they said, all of it. Somebody else had the stuff before you did, the land, the property, all that, before you did, and then you got it, and you manage it, you do whatever you do with it for X number of years, and then when you die, somebody else gets it. So it's not yours to keep, but there are some things that are yours to keep, and that's what Jesus is trying to emphasize. He said, this money thing, it's, it's going to be gone when, you, when you're gone. Enjoy what you can, whatever, but it's going to be gone when you are, but there are certain things that are spiritual, uh, that, that, are, that are true riches, See, it's the concrete versus the abstract. And little kids in, in school, I don't know if they still do it. I, I'm not an educator. But if, if the teacher used to bring six apples. And she'd say, these three apples and these three apples, count them, one, two, three, four, five, six. Now, when you put them together, how many apples are there? Little junior counts six. And so it's concrete things so that someday when his brain develops and it, it, it's able to do that, then he can understand abstract thought. But you've got to start with concrete thought, count the apples, take away a few apples, learn math. It's the one, two, threes. Of, of, it's concrete stuff that someday you can understand abstract thought. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says there are earthly matters, there are natural things, and there are spiritual things. The natural things come first. And Jesus is saying the natural thing comes first. It's handling worldly wealth, your money. If you've not been faithful with that, who's going to give you your true riches? God says, I've got true riches for you that will last into eternity, that will last this, outlast this life, and you take with you when you go. It's a tool that God uses. Let's go on to Malachi. People usually hear this, and they think I'm talking about giving. I'm really not talking about giving, but God says, I want to teach you something about, about money here. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Okay, that's how God planned to support his, his, his work. And then he says, test me in this. Says the Lord, and see if I won't throw up the floodgates of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that you will not have room enough to contain it. God says, 
I want you to learn to start with things that are concrete, like money, dollars and cents. It's countable. You can add it, subtract it, multiply it, whatever you do to it. It is something that is concrete because there's some abstract things God says, I want to talk to you about, but maybe you're not ready just yet. So he says, take your money. He says, and, and, and bring the tithe. It's 10%. He says, take that and put it in my storehouse because he says, I want you to test me in this because I want to show to you how much I can actually be trusted. God says, you can trust me with money and watch what I'll do in your life. I will open the floodgates of heaven for you. And that doesn't mean you walk around having $100 bills falling out of your pocket and there's cash all over. What are we going to do? No, 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 he's not talking about that. He said, but I will so fill your life and give you purpose and plans and so fill it that your life will be more than you can handle and you have to share it with somebody else. You give it to somebody else. You send it on ahead. And he says, you learn that God can be trusted. Maybe with issues of your heart. Besetting sins that you just can't quit. You can't stop. Maybe the fear is for your children. And what's going to become of, of, of the culture and the world there. Your own sins. See, I think that giving is the key to everything. And I'm not saying that because I'm a preacher and going to collect an offering. It opens the door. See, I think it opens the door to the kingdom of God. Opens the door to the reign of God in your life. Because the truth of it is, money isn't for us anyway. It's been given to us to flow to other people. Like your employees. Like the servers who serve you so faithfully at a restaurant. My thing is, if you can't afford a tip, go to McDonald's. They don't expect one there. But these people serving tables, that is their livelihood. And if you're not a tipper and you're cheap, tell them you go to Sun Valley. <laughs> just easy, boy, just easy, just easy. See, I think what, what God is saying, he says, it'll set things in motion that will last long after you're pushing up daisies. I fully intend to set things in motion. They're going to happen a long time after I'm gone. It doesn't end with me. It's not what you do. It's what you set in motion to do. And that's what eternal life is. You never do die because you set things in motion. You change residences. You change locations. But you're not dead. Musicians come back. We're going to wrap it up. Number five, money is a responsibility. Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world. Now, if I ask if you're rich, no one would say yes. If I said by the standard of three billion people in the world who live on $2 a day, we're all rich. And so I would say that just so you would have rich guilt. No. <laughs> you're rich. By world standards, you're rich. Uh, unless you only make $2 a day, then you're one of my employees. <laughs> Just easy, just easy. <laughs> These shoes are rich in this world not to be proud nor trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God wants you to be, spend your money and have a good time doing it. Uh, money is to be enjoyed. Verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous 
to those in need. See, I think that there's a certain amount of money that needs to be saved, but I think that money is to be spent. If you're a hoarder with all your stuff, you're probably a hoarder with your money. I've known people that had a lot of money and didn't have any fun spending it because they couldn't. They just couldn't let go of anything, clutching on so tight. Use your money to do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous to those in need. By doing this, and this is the kicker, guys. Look what he says. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasures for themselves in heaven. The only place, only safe investment for eternity. If you think the problems you have could be solved with a little more money, you've probably bought the lie. The truth is money is not going to keep your kids off drugs. Money is not going to cure cancer. More money is not going to save your marriage. It's not going to heal your depression. The truth is you don't need what is temporal. You need something that is eternal. I'm not against having money or more money. But temporal things are not going to save you. Because that's not where the cry of your heart is. Solomon said God puts eternity in our hearts. There's something deep inside you that money's not going to satisfy. Status and position are not going to satisfy. And when you try to fill it with everything else but the Lord Jesus Christ, you're barking up the wrong tree and you're going to be sorely disappointed. Rich or poor, lots or little. And I've been both. cry of my life is not for more stuff Lord satisfy my soul with yourself with understanding who you are and actually go into next week with the kingdom of God if you've never opened your life to Christ or you did a long time ago but you're just following a culture of the world that's grasping for more and more and more and it's not doing for you what you thought it was going to do. Why don't you open your life to Christ this morning again? Can you do it twice? You can do it a hundred times. Yes, you can. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord, I've wandered away. I stumbled around. Lord, refocus. Come back in. Take charge. You can do that right where you sit. We're getting ready to sing a song. You can do that when we sing. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for these wonderful people that have sat here this morning and listened so well. Lord, I pray your blessing on them as we open our lives to you this morning. Bless in Jesus' strong name. Amen.